And who's the audience? Just the worldwide world? Yes, okay. exactly. So we don't want to talk about like internal... No dates. Yes. So Dave, if you had questions about file systems and storage on Linux, who's like the first person you go to? Rick Wheeler. Rick Wheeler, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. Um, the guy's been working on storage. I was about to say longer than I've been alive, but that seems unfair to him. I actually, right. I, I don't know that that's actually true. Uh, certainly feels like it. That guy is like a. a he's file smart system. enough. I mean, from a from a, <laughs> right. a knowledge standpoint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and he's been doing it for. I mean, he's that's that his whole career has been devoted to this. Yeah. Um, and he's got a, I know he's got a great reputation inside Red Hat and also a great reputation in the Linux community. So I'm super excited that you were able to nab him when you were up in Westford this week. Yeah, yeah, me too. And and he also pulled in uh, Tom Coughlin uh, from mm -hmm. the, the storage engineering team too. Okay, yeah, I, I, was, uh, I was really excited that you got him. Uh, so uh, let's take a listen. So Garner, um, wanted to... Uh tell everybody that we got uh, some special guests on the show today. We got uh, Rick Wheeler and Tom Coughlin. Uh, do you guys want to introduce yourselves and, and say what you do for Red Hat? Sure. Um, my name's Rick Wheeler. I'm a director in the RHEL um, uh, kernel team with responsibility for all file systems and storage. And I'm Tom Coughlin, engineering manager for the storage part of Rick's group. So I handle device drivers for storage as well as LVM and device mapper and multipath. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that we had uh, a couple episodes ago, we had Dan Walsh on whenever RHEL uh, 7 Beta came out. And we, we went through Dan's laundry list of things that were exciting him about RHEL 7. And uh, a lot of it was SE Linux, surprisingly, um, for <laughs> in the container work that he was doing. But um, like I know with you guys doing a lot with storage, what are some of the cool things that, that you guys are, have been doing? Like, for instance, if we take a look at, you know, one of the big headlines is ButterFS. So what what is it, and why? Why yet another file system? And you know, what, tell us about that. Well, I'll start with that. This is Rick. Um, ButterFS is a, a really neat technology. We're still working aggressively to try to get it stable enough for our enterprise users, mm -hmm. and we hope to get it ready for RHEL seven. But it's kind of on, uh, it's still wobbly enough that it's a big question mark now. It'll be a tech preview item, uh, unless it does better than I expect it to do in the yeah. next couple months of testing. But what it does for you is. One is it has full uh, checksums over all the user data and metadata. This has been really important for some of our customers who have very large data sets. You mm -hmm. think of national labs with petabytes and petabytes of storage. You're just guaranteed to have data integrity issues at that scale pretty much every day. And ButterFS, with its checksumming, can detect those and self-correct online some of that stuff. The second thing, and this is actually what a lot of people think of when they think of ButterFS is, it's a lot easier to use because yeah. it, it wraps in LVM and basic rate concepts all into the same file system. Yeah, That's good and bad. Yes. What it means as a file system is it has to recode all the stuff that we've had working for years and there's bugs like the mm -hmm. rate 5 code and rate 6 code won't save the parity data over power outage yet. And that was kind of intentional. The developers wanted to get rate 5 and 6 support in as kind of a test while they figured out how to make it actual enterprise uh, quality later. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm a big fan of re layering on top of enterprise components. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so what we've tried to do, just so that we don't encourage people to jump to the newest, shiniest file system, 
just because we're really bad at making it easy to use is we've invested a lot in manageability. Yes. Storage System Manager is a great project. I encourage people to, to check out. And it'll allow you to use XFS or ext4 or ButterFS mm -hmm. on top of LVM um, with a single command. You can add a drive, shrink a file system, grow a file system if the underlying file system supports that. So make it easy to use from that level with the CLI. Uh, we have several projects uh, that probably other people would be worth talking to about uh, OpenLMI, mm -hmm. restructuring right. Anaconda, all meant to make storage and, and, and RHEL in general easier to manage. So uh, again, I want people to jump to ButterFS when they actually need it for actual, actual use cases, um, not because we've, we've made it so hard to stay with our existing technologies. But we're trying to work on that. Yeah, and that's what I, I know Like when I was at, at SGI, I was spent more time with the graphics team. And for us, it's like when a graphics driver was flaky, no big deal. We'll, we'll just restart the X server and we're, we're back in business. Yeah. But I, I have a total appreciation for what you guys are doing from a storage standpoint because if you corrupt your storage, you, you can't reboot and get it all back. And so you guys are very, very careful in terms of, you know, it's it's not ready until it's ready uh, with with ButterFS and you you know we and that it. was and actually Rick I had a question about that is uh, so what kind of testing do you go through like how do you know when a ButterFS is or any other file system or mechanism is is enterprise ready um, is there like a uh, I presume there's a series of tests like what 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 gets a, what gets the what gets the stamp of approval at the end how do you get there oh it's it's a great question um, we've worked for for many years on something called the XFS test suite, mm -hmm. which is more or less a set of unit tests. There's several hundred tests we do there to test specific file system functionality, and those are run on all file systems, including ButterFS and ext4. I think people even run them on NFS these days. And some file systems will do more or less than others, so you can't, you don't expect every sub-unit test to pass every file system. But that's one great thing that developers do. It takes maybe an hour or two to run that set of test suites. Mm -hmm. Our Red Hat QE team has been fantastic at doing some of the harder things in, in storage and file system integrity. They do a lot of power fail testing. Mm. So you're running workload, you drop power to the system or to the storage uh, specifically. You remount the file system, make sure that there's no file system metadata integrity issues that would cause you to have to do an FSCK or an XFS repair. Yeah, That's kind of um, the, the base level. Does it work? Does it not lose your data? Those are the important things. And then we start working with our performance team and layered applications and, and you know things like the Red Hat Storage Business Unit, which does Gluster on top of XFS and, and Device Mapper, um, to make sure there's no performance regression test or any kind of advanced functionality test. So this can take months and months. Yeah. And ButterFS is somewhere halfway through that. Um, the other thing we, we rely on heavily is our partners who test at scale with their storage, their arrays, uh, their critical ISV kind of third-party applications. We've worked with, um, I think it was SAS Institute for years mm -hmm. on uh, right, right. tuning XFS. Uh, we've done the same with GFS2, our mm -hmm. shared disk file system. So it's, it's been a great experience, right? And partners will often find things that we, we didn't notice. Right. Well, I, and I think that's the difference between enterprise support where you have reached back to the partners that may have terabytes and terabytes that we may not necessarily have, but we also have storage on premise to do large scale tests and, and models of their hardware. It's very different from an enterprise support compared to um, just somebody that's you know mom's basement and hey it worked on my on my dad's laptop and so let's do a commit and and ship it, right? Absolutely. I mean that, that's one of the things you'll see with Red Hat um, 
products is we have supported configurations and sizes that we'll post. Yeah. And it's not that they're hard carved into stone limitations of how much the code uh, will support. For example, for RHEL 7, we're going to bump XFS up to 500 terabytes per file system from 100 terabytes. The truth is the actual code has always been able to scale up to 500 terabytes, but we weren't testing and qualifying at 500 terabytes before. Right. So we try to, to tell our customers to use configurations that we've supported and tested and pounded on. Yeah, and, and then, then whenever they call in, it's like you could reproduce the problem. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I hate the uh, interactions when someone says, but I saw on Google that somebody in the community said that you could do this with 10, 10 petabytes of USB drives. <laughs> uh, we get that a lot, right? And it's like, yeah, but you know, we want it, We want you to not lose your job when the lights go out. Right. <laughs> we try to test stuff really uh, rigorously and make sure that we advertise uh, tested configuration that we can support. Yeah. But that ties into some of the stuff that Tom's team's done that is a good segue from ButterFS. We poured a lot of technology into Device Mapper and LVM. Yeah. So what, what is that? What, what is well, Device Mapper? And I think the theme, the overall theme here, has to do with making the system easier to manage. So yeah. as Rick said, we have the storage system manager SSM, system storage manager SSM, which uh, allows you with a single command to create a logical volume, and on top of it place the file system all with one simple straightforward command. Mm. So there's one example where we're taking steps to make um, the traditional LVM and file systems as easy to use as ButterFS, mm -hmm. for example. The other project that is kind of exciting in RHEL 7 is Lib Storage Management. This is an open source project upstream on SourceForge. Um, but this, for the first time, allows the Linux system administrator to manage the spindles behind a RAID array. So you've connected a RAID array to your Linux box, and now for the first time, you can create a LUN that might be a RAID 6 on the back end of, a, of a, some other hardware vendor's RAID array, and then present that to the operating system, and from there, for example, run SSM in order to uh, to uh, create a logical volume and put a file system on it, all um, with straightforward set of, of commands. Uh, Lib Storage Management provides um, an API library so that you can write storage management code, but it also gives you a CLI so you can try it with, with the command line as well as uh, in order to uh, exercise what, it, what it's capable of and use it for scripts, for example. So. Lib storage management is one of the highlights there. Another highlight that has come in RHEL 7 that's been a long-standing customer request is when certain events occur in the storage subsystem, Linux will now automatically be able to take action. For example, if you create a LUN, a logical unit on a storage array, that array will send a signal to the operating system, and the operating system will automatically configure that device. So we've had this request for quite some time where customers want to be able to you know, add a LUN to their storage array and be able to uh, discover it on the Linux system automatically. Without having to rescan or manually scan. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they can take, they can 
write their own policy with regard to what should happen if a LUN on a storage array is suddenly deleted, mm -hmm. removed mm -hmm. from the system. Or, for example, um, a LUN on a storage array signals that the RAID device has become degraded because one of the spindles has failed, and you'd like to be able to get an alert on the operating system to make the administrator aware of that. Um, or, for example, to be able to quiesce a database and then issue a command to the storage array to have it take a hardware-based snapshot of the storage to get an immediate um, um, point-in-time copy on the array. So lib storage management is, again, a big opening, a brand new frontier in terms of being able to manage and monitor the storage on the back end of these RAID arrays. Mm -hmm. So is it is it that facility, I know that we announced this, you know, that we're collaborating with Docker, and I know that we're working with the Docker guys on getting them off of AUFS and, and using LVM directly, and we're also doing the same thing for uh, their provisioning system, so they use libvirt instead. Is Do, do you know, are the Docker guys using this lib storage facility uh, to do that work? I expect they'll begin to use it starting mm -hmm. around now. I don't think they're currently using it, okay. um, but it's an obvious uh, next step. Yeah, right, right, totally. Okay, um, cool. And again, um, any external uh, storage device, Symmetrics, uh, Clarion, NetApp, um, there's this need for the system administrator on the Linux system to be able to monitor the status of mm -hmm. the storage as well as to manipulate it to add and subtract and increase the size and take a snapshot all of those sorts of things. Tom, I'm, re I'm, I'm really excited by all this stuff. I, Tom, when, you, when you're describing all these improvements to the management, especially the management of LVM, um, what I'm hearing is that my RHCE exam just got a lot easier. <laughs> and different. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. We'll take kickbacks into the yeah. uh, <laughs> Allen Storage System Travel Fund. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll still find there's quite a bit of, of uh, low-level uh, LVM command line options that uh, will remain there for the power user, but we're trying to provide a, a simpler interface for the typical user. Yeah, and that's that's really a key of a storage system manager and a lot of the manageability stuff, even OpenLMI, uh, which allows you to do this kind of in a um, remote, remoted way, yeah. is Think of the top 10 or 12 things, or maybe 20 things, pick a number. Top, the most common things that administrators need to do or that users need to do to, to provision storage, stand up a file system, check it. That's what we're trying to automate. The normal case that everybody needs to do um, without trying to make the tools so complicated that we've just recreated the mess up. This, right. You're always going to need the power tools. Yes. Right? If you have a, a ninja in storage administration and you know with expertise and low-level LVM device mapper internals or XFS repair or whatever, mm -hmm. those tools are, will always be there for them. Yeah. But for the casual user, we want to make it easy to use as, as you know, ZFS or ButterFS. Yeah, and, and that's overall one of the overarching goals for RHEL 7 is, you know, making it approachable for, you don't need to be the, the Linux ninja. Correct, yeah, that, that's, that's a huge goal, right. So I'll briefly just talk about two more LVM uh, new features that are out um, for people to take a look at in RHEL 6 as well as in RHEL 7. One of them is um, thin provisioning. Again, to aid the system management, what you do is you take all your storage, you put it into a pool, 
and create logical volumes, which might be extremely large. And the data in that pool is only consumed when you do writes to that logical volume. So in a sense, you're, um, you're pre-allocating the logical volume and then only consuming space as writes occur. So this gives you a lot more flexibility as a system manager. You may have many users requesting large file systems, but you know they're only going to use the, the data on those file systems very slowly, very gradually. So you yeah. can overcommit your physical storage and then monitor it. And um, um, as writes occur, storage gets consumed. You keep an eye on that and you add more storage dynamically. You don't need to reboot or anything. With LVM, you simply add more physical storage to the volume group. So, this, so that, and that would be that would be useful for, uh, I'm guessing, like um, allocating virtual machine images. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. And, and that leads to the next comment, which has to do with storage snapshots. Um, we have, based on the thin provisioning technology that I just described, the ability to do very scalable snapshots. So you can have a, a golden base image. Mm -hmm let's say for a virtual machine uh, image, and then take a large number of snapshots. And with the new uh, technology in RHEL 6 and 7 in LVM, um, these snapshots, first of all, only consume space when, when they're written to. And um, secondly, they have a shared exception store. So many snapshots may share uh, common writes that occur to the base image, and there's only one copy of that data instead of n copies, one for each snapshot. So again, another technique within LVM to, to make the system um, easier to manage. And, and that's actually one of the reasons that it, LVM snapshots work so well for the Docker people. You have yeah, one shared exception right. store, and you're not having to administer a ton of different partitions or images. Exactly, yeah. right. right. Yeah. I think snapshots is exactly what's motivating the, the move within Docker as well as the uh, virtualization uh, area to, uh, to use this LVM. One comment about um, thinly provisioned storage, the DM thin target in, in uh, Device Mapper, is it also makes it obsolete to think about having to shrink a file system. Mm -hmm. you, you virtually provision whatever size your users want to see, say 10 terabytes, Yes. and they only consume physical space when they use it. When you do a delete or you do, the file systems do uh, discard commands, Yes. Uh, FS trim for example, so right, that's what gonna use to help that, yeah. it gives the storage space back to the, to the uh, the, the common pool yeah. so other people can reuse it. So you effectively never have to resize your file systems huh. uh, down, right? So shrinking becomes much less uh, useful. Yeah. Of course, you can never shrink less than your allocated space anyway, right, right, which right. LVM uh, and device mapper will give you now. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Do, do you have the, that is cool. Do you have the, do, do we have the ability to collapse snapshots? So I know I no longer want to store the deltas um, and I want to take you know, versions one through n of the snapshot, and just make and turn them back into one image. Uh, so like baseline. Over. Yeah, to go back to the baseline. Can, is that possible now? Yes. Um, so you can simply delete the snapshots that you don't want. Um, that won't interfere with um, uh, other snapshots that have occurred more recently. They're all independent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. I think that is all is reference counted. 
So any specific version of, of a chunk that the device number stores is reference counted, and you get space back when you drop down to it no like users. a garbage collection sort of thing. Yeah. Effectively, mm -hmm. you don't actually have to garbage collect. It's it's all reference counted actively. Yeah. Right. And so when the last user goes away, when you do that last snapshot, you will reclaim space. Okay. As long as somebody isn't using it in an active snapshot that you have somewhere else. Right. Right. Interesting. And that's what's and uh, you know one of the other interesting things. I know we're we're talking about a lot of heavy duty things right okay. here, but um, I know it, in April at the summit we we Christoph Dorback and. Uh, some uh, I know he has some LVM labs where he'll be he'll be showing stuff off like this where how how you could do like upgrades and rollbacks and stuff like that and one of the other things like at the summit is that we get guys like you there at the summit too to be able to talk with folks too which is is really powerful so that's oh absolutely and and uh, based on that talking about rollbacks uh, Anaconda and LVM we use an LVM based rollback mechanism for in RHEL seven to be able to. Uh, recover from a bad upgrade. Yeah. Not that we'd ever give somebody a bad bit of set of no. <laughs> uh, If it ever happened that you just don't like it for whatever reason, yeah. uh, you can revert back uh, and uh, the installer will take care of that automatically based on LVM and, and the same snapshotting technology. Yeah. Yeah. And so, one of the other things that uh, you know, people are starting to see with uh, uh, RHEL 7 as they do the beta is they see XFS showing up magically. So, what, what, how, how did that come about? So XFS is it has always been our high-performance, really large file system. It's a great file system as you get more complicated, high-end storage, or even just large servers, because XFS is very good at not uh, doing lock contention and scalability with increasing core count. So <clears throat> for the first few years of, of Red Hat support of XFS, we had it as a layered product, which required an extra license fee. So now we're going to actually roll it out, not just as part of the base RHEL 7, but on all architectures that we support. Mm. So you can use XFS on S390, Power, and x86. So that, that's a change. You can also use it for your system partitions, so you don't mm. need another file system. Some yeah. customers have asked for that. So if you um, want, um, XFS will, could be your only file system, and it'll be supported in boot system and everything else. Um, same statement for ext 4 um, It'll be available and, and maintained throughout the life of RHEL 7, of course. We do invest in that heavily. So if customers like ext 4 they're perfectly welcome to stay on it, create new instances forever. Mm -hmm. um, we do invest in that um, aggressively as well. ButterFS is the, has the same goals as ext 4 and XFS, mm -hmm. um, but again, pending uh, the outcome of our testing, whether it's ready yeah. for prime time. Yeah, it's, I, I guess the focus is nail it from a stability standpoint and then scale it out over time. Like you don't want to scale it big and make it have it be flaky. It's that Correct. makes it less yeah. useful. So we're yeah. we're trying to figure out what's what specific use cases ButterFS would be best start yeah. with. We're thinking like the system partition use, which is what the SUSE and I think Oracle Linux people have done. They don't okay. let users put data on it, but they allow it effective for what we do with Anaconda with LVM snapshots, okay. they allow you to recover from bad upgrades based yeah. on ButterFS for system partitions only. That's an easy one. Uh, possibly desktop users would benefit immensely from ButterFS. And um, also as a base file system for kind of scale on big data stuff like Red Hat Storage or Ceph or other uh, Hadoop workloads where you, you typically protect your data by distributing around the cluster. It's not on one single file system. Right. So right. those are the thoughts that we have for ButterFS, but still it has to be reliable enough that, you know, we. We have confidence you won't lose your data more often than you should. 
yeah. because of flaky hardware. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing that I've seen too is that you know a lot of times people think about, oh, well, file systems, that's, that's a, a software exercise, or especially at Red Hat, it's a software thing. But you, know, you start thinking about things like SSDs, people could think that, oh, well, I'm just make FS on an SSD and I don't have to do anything differently. But we're, you guys are doing a lot of engineering work around SSDs, right? Yeah, SSDs are, I actually do a lot of speaking at different community events about SSDs and, and new technologies called persistent memory, which are, if you want to think of it as DRAM class parts that don't lose state when they lose power, mm -hmm. um, which are even faster than, than say, a Fusion I.O. or a Micron SSD mm -hmm. card okay. are today. So we have a few things. First of all, if you want to just use an SSD with MakeFS and under device mapper, it should just all work. Yeah. Um, we try to automate it and self-tune to the nature of the device so that users don't have to do too much extra work there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it should be just as easy as you said. Yeah. Just make it fast and, we, and we'll get out of your way. But, but you, you know, it's easy but, for the end user, but, but you guys got to do the engineering to make it that the, easy. The hard thing is, um, for decades effectively, storage has been the really dog slow mm -hmm. way to, to store data. Yes. So everybody's applications work really, really hard never to talk to your storage. That's why you have uh, the page okay. cache and a lot of DRAM and big servers. Yeah. Why uh, things like Oracle keep manages their own database uh, in uh, of pages. Um, so this is a little has changed the game a little bit. Some of these mm -hmm. new storage devices are faster than we expect. Yeah. So instead of doing say 20 IOs per second to a SATA drive, you can do a half a million IOs per second to a PCI Express SSD. Yeah. And for some of these new classes of storage devices, you might be able to do a few million IOs per DIMM slot. Um, and they scale up with the number of DIMM slots, so it might be 10 million, 20 million IOs. You'll, you'll run out of CPU bandwidth before you can do that. Yeah. But what that means to us as kernel engineers is we have to work really hard to make the stack scale up mm -hmm. um, to that, that IO rate. Yeah. It won't make everybody's life better because, again, like I said, storage has been so slow for decades that most applications try not to talk to us. Right. And if you don't talk to storage very often, Making it faster won't make you, your life any better. Yeah. But there are applications that will be tremendously faster um, with the, this new stuff. And we've looked at in RHEL 7 at putting enablement for uh, one one thing that should be largely invisible, but it's called mul the multi queue support in the block subsystem. Okay. This is almost like multi queue in um, high speed TCP uh -huh. networking. Uh -huh. So we've done that for storage now. Uh -huh. And over okay. time, more device drivers will embrace that technology and opt into that. Yeah, we won't have a lot of consumers at 7.0, but we have the infrastructure in to scale up our I/O performance for the I/O stack. So, so when you guys get like you know, like like you're saying traditionally, like the uh, 20 or 40 IOPS or whatever on right. on a SATA drive, then all of a sudden you're given some smoking fast uh, SSD or or DRAM memory subsystem. It, it sounds like the problem then moves to uh, something else is going to break and and or it becomes the bottleneck and you have all kinds of unintended consequences so what are what are some of the experiences that you guys have had with that well IO schedulers are one thing that we've had to work with a lot on the high-speed yeah. stuff today so the default policy is historically been CFQ which is really tuned towards slow SATA devices where yeah. it's it's clearly better to wait and send down a bigger request and send down a lot of little requests because they're so slow that's not a good trade-off anymore. It's faster to just send the crest down to the device and let it complete than it is to even think about it. Huh. Yeah. So um, our performance team spends a lot of time testing, evaluating, and providing uh, Tune profiles to help automatically configure 
uh, to the characteristics of the storage. So that's one thing we do is working with the performance team, make sure that we've got the right settings and tunings and knob twiddlings yeah. for anything that requires it. Hopefully the kernel will, will automatically detect and rebalance itself, but sometimes you know it's best to, to manually do that, and that's what tune people mm -hmm. will automate for us. you have thoughts, Tom, about this? Well, the other thing to mention is in RHEL 7 as a tech preview, we have a device mapper cache target. Mm -hmm. What this allows you to do is choose any block device that might be uh, fast and use that as a cache for slower block devices. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you would take your SSD and, and set it up as a cache for, for slower spinning disks that might be in a RAID set, for example. So this is uh, storage tiering, which is getting a lot of discussion in the industry and so on. And um, in RHEL 7, people can can try it out. Um, in 7.0, as a tech preview, we'll put uh, quite a bit of emphasis on getting this ready for 7.1. What we'll be looking for is the ability, for example, with LVM to create a physical volume that is backed by a fast device and some other physical or some other number of physical volumes. and set them up as a uh, in a cache um, configuration. So that's coming, something we're excited about. This will help one to get um, more benefit from their faster devices by spreading the advantage over a larger um, a larger amount of storage space. Mm -hmm. Cool. I can throw out a couple of other thoughts kind of in the Realm 7 space. One of the things we introduced in, in Realm 6, we Red Hat was the first company in the world to support parallel NFS, which allows right. you to basically do very high-speed NFS serving for uh, enterprise-class storage servers like a NetApp or other vendors clustered NFS server. We only supported one of the layouts there, which is the file layout that's popular with, NF, with NetApp. Um, we'll be looking at adding object layouts, mm -hmm. which would bring in support for Panassas mm. in RHEL 7, and uh, block if um, people have interest in that as well. It's on the, on the, uh, in the queue to be supported. At the same time, we've looked at enhancing NFS protocol support mm -hmm. in the server. Mm -hmm. We don't have a parallel NFS server out of the box in RHEL 7, mm -hmm. but we do support all of the NFS 4.1 protocol without the optional PNFS bits mm -hmm. in the RHEL server, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which gives you some performance advantages and um, eventually, NFS doesn't slow down, so 4.2 is also being debated. That gives you functionality for things like copy offload, which is popular with uh, VMware and people like that. That's That will come into RHEL 7 eventually as well. Yeah, well, and speaking of NFS, I, that, I think that's an, yet another difference between like the enterprise having engineers working with the standards committee to get things changed, such as probably the most exciting feature for NFS coming in RHEL 7 for Garner and I is the labeled NFS. Labeled NFS is big. It took years to get that done. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about that and why, tell us why Gunnar and I are so excited yeah. about it. <laughs> well, for many, many years, I mean, NFS is a whole ecosystem. Yeah. So it's not something where Red Hat can go and change it just on the on the client side. You have to get the industry to, to move the specification forward and then implement it. Mm -hmm. So Historically, NFS has not allowed you to pass uh, the security attributes that SE Linux needs over just by protocol. The protocol did not support that. Um, the uh, 4.0, I think it was 4.1? Yeah. 4.1 added that support. It might have been 4.2, and we, we pulled it back aggressively. I don't recall. But the, the new newest versions of NFS protocol allowed us to do that. Mm -hmm. 
So Red Hat Engineering took the lead, working with uh, Dave Quigley, who used to work with the NSA. Uh, now I think Dave has moved on to another uh, another job. But to bring that into full support, it's supported by some storage vendors, but it will be fully supported if you have a RHEL NFS server and RHEL client. Mm -hmm. And over time, you'll see more and more commercial availability. That will give you the ability to run secure SE Linux images over NFS protocol for the first time ever. Yeah, because before, we, we would have to, uh, like, I'm using uh, SE Linux on, on my RHEL box, and I want to mount an NFS file system. I, um, it's basically, it, it's a static label for everything, and, yeah. and if I'm, I can't uh, change uh, permit, uh, change the attributes on a file and have that pushed back to the server. Just didn't work at all. Now it's very useful. Yeah. So what about like things like, I can imagine NFS root or things like that could also be applicable for SE Linux? Yeah, you could. We, we do support and have customers who use um, diskless NFS, yeah. so that's kind of cool, right? Making that easy to use is another one of those goals. We've yeah. some people looking at that as well. Um, I will add, though, if the uh, security attributes that we use for SE Linux are a subset of the broader kind of extended attributes, hex adders that other mm -hmm. classes support, mm -hmm. that is still a very contentious thing that we've, we've advocated for in the upstream community and with the NFS uh, specifications body. Yeah. Haven't convinced anybody yet that NFS needs X adders. Um, so if you have programs um, that use X adders, not the security labels, um, that's still not going to work in, with mm -hmm. NFS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have to keep fighting that fight. But yeah. speaking of software applications that use extended attributes, there's Red Hat Storage and GlusterFS. Correct. Right? Yeah, and, and that's that's a great thing to make sure that we're clear on. Um, yeah, yeah. So Tom and I are part of the Rel team. Mm -hmm. And we do the kernel-based storage stack uh, and file systems that Red Hat Storage and other partners who aren't Red Hat employees all rely on. Um, Red Hat Storage is its own business unit, its own product. Um, we do, of course, talk to them and work to make sure they, they run really well, and it's a great product. But we also have a kind of a duty to make sure that we embrace everybody in the ecosystem in a kind of a vendor-neutral way, because we're the, we're the operating system. Right. We can't pick favorites, yes. per se. Yeah. So we work aggressively with partners who have competing technologies with Red Hat Storage and Cluster, and try to make sure that if you're going to use anybody's really neat storage or file system, it'll run best on RHEL. Right. That's kind of our goal. Yeah. 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 And and that's the thing is that even uh, whenever we bought Cluster and and had Red Hat Storage as an offering, you know, we would go and talk to customers and and we had to dispel the myth that. Oh well, and turn off my NetApp and turn off my EMC. You're going to go all Red Hat storage, and it's it's for certain use cases. Whereas the the NetApp and EMC is is really, you know, it has its own their own sweet spots too, and we have great relationships. And and then going back to the summit, I know that um, we we have folks. I know from Red, uh, I'm sorry, NetApp, like John Benedict is uh, doing a whole bunch of talks on on how you know using the Red Hat products and and RHEL and Rev. Um, work great on NetApp. So it's great, Absolutely. great partnership, great yeah. story. Yeah, yeah and, and it's interesting. So there's a new class of drives, of disk drives, called shingled drives, SMR drives. And it's, long story short, these drives are, I mean, the, the write heads have gotten, um, the read heads are much smaller than the write heads can write. Hmm. So when you write to the sectors, you, you have to overlap, just like shingles on a roof or okay. shingles on a New England house. You kind of obliterate some, obliterate some of the other data, so you have to write in big chunks. Effectively, you can't do anything but appending writes as you fill the drive. Um, 
these are really complicated things. These are shipping today kind of with an FTL-like thing that hides that, that kind of nastiness from us. But the drive industry would love us to be able to enable, to, to use the actual restricted storage models that they uh, would natively want without having to put all the hardware in each individual disk drive. Um, drive down the cost of the drive. Right. It'll make it easy to have these big, deep, kind of think of big data boxes with 60 drives from each. If you drive costs out of the drives and pull the sophisticated software into the server, right. it's great. Well, the really cool thing is a consortia of industry drive vendors, uh, four of them, actually came to us uh, at Red Hat and in the community, Linux community first, before they went to anybody else, mm -hmm. saying, hey, guys, what do you think about this proposal, this stack? Could you do this? Because unlike being kind of the leader of other, other technologies, uh, or follower of in other technologies, we are the leaders here. Yeah. They came to us first, and it was kind of cool. Yeah, that's, that's got awesome. a lot of feedback, and hopefully, we'll get that working smoothly. And not in seven at but but eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how do you see things going from like, like you know, you, you hear about Moore's law with uh, the chips and the you know, and, and you see with storage and drive capacity. Where, where do you see things going? Is it going to, you know, you have. The hybrid drives, you have SSDs, you have spinning platters, you have tape. Where do you guys see storage going in the future? I think you're going to have tiers of storage in most servers. Some of the fastest technologies are always going to be very relatively low capacity and mm -hmm. high cost. So some applications, the cost will be justified. They have nothing but, say, non-volatile DRAM tech class mm -hmm. technology or, or new technologies coming. But others will still have flash-based SSDs and or rotating storage, which has a lot of density still on the roadmaps. So you, you'll have, I think, in a lot of storage applications, need to kind of do this tiering, hopefully yeah. in an automatic way. Mm -hmm. Things like DM cache helps us there. And mm -hmm. It's actually stackable. You could tier three levels if you want. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, I think you won't be kissing your, your old spinning rust drives yes. goodbye anytime soon. <laughs> uh, and Flash will be with us for a long time, too. It depends on the technologies, of course. Yeah. But we're going to try to be ready for, for what it looks like. Yeah. So, so Rick, one thing, that, uh, Dave and I were talking about this uh, before, before the interview. Um, it seems like for about 10 years, uh, all I had to worry about was EXT3, maybe LVM. Um, and storage was kind of a solved problem. Like, I didn't have to think about it very much, um, at least from my point of view, right? Because I'm not the kernel, kernel engineer. And then suddenly, it started, I guess, right around RHEL 6, um, and especially now that we're talking about everything in RHEL 7, it seems like storage has just exploded as this area of innovation, right? Um, I don't think we've ever stuffed as many new storage features into a release as we have in RHEL 7. Um, is that just because we're paying attention? Or is that some, is that like a, is there more innovation going on in storage in the industry? I think it's both. Um, so, so number one is, our, our team at Red Hat that does kernel file system storage is over 40 engineers, 40 kernel engineers. That's wow. people who work down the lowest level of the kernel. Um, if you watch the market um, for all the startups and the acquisitions, uh, uh, people snapping up storage companies, mm -hmm. most of those companies with their startup technologies are all based on Linux today. Yeah. So Linux is the powerful engine behind a lot of this interesting stuff. Um, for good or for bad, things like um, uh, people collecting lots of data and analyzing data is really in the news these days. Those people also use Linux to do that storage, right? So data is, is just exploding in size. Managing it is a real, real challenge. 
So I think it motivates people. Uh, a line I use half jokingly, but, but I'm actually quite serious is when we make a mistake, you know, our customers could lose their jobs too. Right. Right. Because if you lose your data, yeah. you're out of luck. It's not like restarting grip that X. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's an important job. I, I think that's, that's, that Red Hat has realized how strategic it is to customers to have high speed, very large stores. And we've invested in that appropriately. And it's also the base for things like OpenStack and Red Hat storage and virtualization. Everybody needs to store their data somewhere. Yeah. It's what you compute on. Right? Yeah. I think, as you said, um, storage access time has not been keeping up with Moore's Law. And so where we always had three tiers of storage, we're looking into a future where there will be six tiers of storage. Yeah. And that's part of what you're seeing is inventing those intermediate caching layers and tiering and so on. Um, and these these shingle drives that Rick mentioned, which basically are kind of like a tape in the sense that you have to write the whole thing sequentially, but you can read it randomly. So this opens up a whole new, a whole new notion of storage um, arrives here because of this notion that you can have some archive that you have to write sequentially the, the entire thing, for example, like a tape, but entirely random read access. So this fits nicely into the big data picture. Yeah. And then big data in general, as you know, people moving away from expensive SAN to using more um, local disks attached directly to low-cost servers times, you know, uh, 5,000 of them in a, in, a, in a couple of racks. So that opens up another whole question about um, making changes in the storage stack to save cost. So yeah, there's pressures on, on this from different all different directions, cost as well as performance. Yeah, and requirements to retain data. Right? Yeah, um, right. I think about things like, even the easy ones, like medical images, if you have an x-ray of, of a child, uh, it depends on your, your jurisdiction, but you might have to retain those images for decades, yes. 10, 20, 30 years. Um, how do you make sure once you've stored that digital picture that you, you can still get all the bits back as you wrote them? How yeah, do you validate decades them? from now. Yeah. Decades from now. How do you um, make sure the image hasn't decayed and, and bit rotted? Yeah. How do you even fund it? Yeah. Indexing and sorting and metadata. There's a lot of really neat and daunting challenges in storage. Yeah. I, I know personally, even as a file system person for, for decades of experience, I find papers and talks I've done easier by using Google to find them on the web than sometimes on my, on my disk. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, being able to search. Yeah. So people taking advantage of the metadata adders and things, there's a lot of value in making uh, queries and metadata rich queries for people. Yeah. yeah, that was that was actually that was my next question. Was um, I know look at these big data systems. I'm thinking specifically of like Accumulo, and its big selling point is the ability to attach um, whatever relevant metadata and be able to actually retire data based on uh, based on its age, uh, based on a particular you know security label or something like that. Um, that seems like some obvious operations that could be rolled into kind of lower level, uh, like I want to worry about that at the file system level, and I don't necessarily want to install this whole big data apparatus in order to get the ability to age out data and things like that. Yeah. Do, you, do you see features like that um, starting to get folded into kind of lower layers on the stack? So, so I've been at 
at Red Hat a little over um, five and a half years now, but I spent five years before that at EMC working on Centera, which did this archival storage with retention periods and so on, mm -hmm. all based on Linux, by the way, mm -hmm. and um, with a user space application. So we have the infrastructure you need to store attributes and files, the extended adders, mm -hmm. as I mentioned. Um, the hard thing is creating a database and querying it in a reliable way. So a lot of people today can't actually do the queries on the raw data and these attributes. You might store it there as a backup copy, but they'll create other external databases to mm -hmm. do rapid queries, you know, yeah. whether it's an in-memory database or something else. Um, and as long as those databases are okay, you're great. You have speedy queries against that, and you can find things and, and figure out what to, to delete. But if you ever need to rebuild them, you're in trouble. The rebuild right. yeah. can take a week or two. Um, so then, that's interesting. The um, other kind of interesting part of that is the, the counterpart of data retention is data deletion. Yes. Uh, I, you know, called it. It's like the uh, SEC trading rules, right? Mm -hmm. If you've done shady trades. What's the new movie, uh, Wolf of Wall Street? Oh, right, right, right. This guy, if he could have deleted his data faster, you know, he might have been avoided a year or so in prison, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, when we were, it's not just making sure you can retain data for the mandated legal requirement, but when you're allowed to delete it, they want it to go away immediately. Yes. Yeah, immediately might be two days with current technologies, but if you get it down to an hour, um, people like that, right? I mean, yeah. So you you heard it here first. Uh, Rail is the chosen provider of file systems for white collar felons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think we actually have a product in in uh, that does this kind of retention and deletion. But deleting things is is a problem, right? So yeah. if you can get rid of billions of objects in a file system, you get more space for new ingest too. Exactly. So so deletion yeah. is you know all joking aside is a really important. Thing to optimize for. It is, we worked yeah. a lot on that in XFS. Uh, early in RHEL 6, it was really slow with deletion and single-threaded creation of files. Since RHEL 6.2, we've, we've done the way we, we do journaling to make that a lot speedier. So four or five hours, you can put a billion uh, nice. very small files on a, on a file system. That's awesome. Yeah. Just don't do LS in that subdirectory. Yeah, yeah, my daughter. <laughs> But cool. Um, anything else, Gunnar, you wanted to? No, no, I'm fine. Uh, thank you guys for taking the time to, to talk with us. This, this is really, really interesting. Um, it's, it's rare that, um, it's, it, frankly, it's rare that I spend a whole lot of time thinking about file systems, file system internals, um, and, the, and the storage industry in this way. And, part, and I guess the reason for that is, is all of the good work that you guys do to hide this from me. Um, so it's, it's nice to see what's going on under the covers. I, I just think back to when I left the Open Software Foundation Research Institute in, in the late 90s, I tried to recruit a friend of mine who was a, another researcher there to EMC. My friend Franco told me, Rick, I just have no desire to be a disk farmer. <laughs> but it's actually a lot more exciting and, and uh, innovative these days than it was in the 90s, right? I mean, storage was a very kind of staid and boring yeah. quiet area for a long, long time. It's really not anymore. Right. You combine networking and integrity checking and all kinds of odd software things, all hopefully hidden and easy to use. That's yeah. the challenge. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, guys.
Dave, that was awesome. I loved that interview. That was so much fun. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. It's I think that is one of the great reasons why I like to, you know, it's like you go up to Westford and just get a cup of coffee and that's the typical kind of conversation. You know, you just have bumping into yeah. people up there, which is like fantastic. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's great. Um, so Dave, uh, which office will you be in next week and who can we get an interview with? I will be in the Tyson's Corner office. Uh, so we'll see what we could do. Um, okay. um, we'll see what we could do and, and maybe we'll get somebody. Um, but in the meantime, uh, if people want to, so I know during that interview, people, or, or Rick and, and uh, Tom were, were dropping all kinds of projects and, and things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. it, we put some links to a lot of those uh, technologies in the show notes. So where, where would people want to go to uh, get that? Yeah, um, so uh, they want to go to dgshow.org. Uh, that's D as in disc, mm -hmm. uh, G as in growth, mm -hmm. show.org. Nice. See what I did there? Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, have a great weekend, Dave. Yeah, you too, and thank you, Rick, and thank you, Tom. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>